Well, good morning. It's Friday. You caught me turning off my phone because, you know, you don't want phone calls while you're on live on Facebook Live. Welcome to Humor, Grace, and Grief. This is Jill Johnson-Young. You get me all to yourself today. I'll bet you're so excited about that. Deb is off doing a conference. And do you know, she got to do a conference in person with no technology today. She just talked and was Deb and all the Deb. I can't wait for days like that to come back. But you know, we're not there yet. And we've got a lot going on in our world still. So let's first do a check-in. If you have anything you want to share that's going on in your world today, please do use the chat. Um, and I will be happy to post it and share it. Make sure that if you're posting things in the chat, you do so on the Humor, Grace, and Grief with Deborah Joy Hart and Jill Johnson Young uh, Facebook page, because otherwise we only see it after the fact. It doesn't link into our program here. We're working on that, but it's not connected all the way yet. It's the best we can do with the technology of the time and the budget when you're doing this on your own. So in my world, let's see. I have a family member in the hospital right now. It sounds like everything's going to be okay, but you know those nights where you're just not quite sure what's going on. So a little bit of concern there. And I have a, a good friend who is saying goodbye to her dad today um, in the middle of some family conflict, which is really hard when you are trying to memorialize somebody and the grievers are not getting along and there's been conflict for some time. And that really has an impact on that recovery process and with how you can say goodbye and how open you feel about saying goodbye and how much you're able to share of yourself in that moment. And that's a really important moment where you want your heart to be able to just relax and, and be. And instead you have to be a little bit or a lot on guard. I'm very grateful that I didn't have to cope with that with my major losses, but I know many, many families who have. I've seen families in lawsuits over who gets to bury somebody where and that's just, that's a really hard time. And tomorrow there's um, a, a real celebration of life for a dear friend's uh, mama who fought all kinds of illnesses. And um, it's gonna be for outside and the garden will be freshly washed because we have rain today in California, folks. I can't tell you how long it's been since we've had rain for more than an hour and it's been drizzling since last night. And the trees are, I swear, they're greener and they're happier. And um, there is already some green on the hillside we live on. Couldn't even see the top of Big Sugarloaf today because it was encased in clouds and fog, which is such a refreshing sight. I know some of you live in areas where it's like, yeah, we don't want to see rain again for the rest of our lives. And the one after that. In Southern California, when we get rain, it is a moment for people to go outside and clap their hands and cheer a little or a lot. And for us to wait and watch to see if the Sierras um, and the Northern California peaks get snow so we can rebuild our snowpack, which is our watershed for our year. And if it will rebuild the Colorado River, which is really, really low right now. 
So this is for us a, a beautiful morning and afternoon. And there's another front coming on Monday. I really couldn't be happier. I People even who have sad seasonal affective disorder, those are folks who some of them are able to bear through the few hours or few days of rain in terms of looking at it with gratitude that, oh my gosh, we've got rain. We're going to be able to take showers this winter um, for more than five minutes because when we hit a drought this severe, we we really grieve being able to be who we are. And we learn to develop a sense of humor about living in, in dryness. But it's always a delight to see hillsides turning green. Then we'll start worrying about fires, you know, tomorrow. Because when hillsides turn green, then they can catch fire. So today, as I put up on the post about today's show, I really wanted to talk about compassion fatigue and COVID fatigue and all the fatigues because there's so much of it going on right now. There's so much that we're actually uh, working on putting together a support group at my office at Central Counseling Services in Riverside, California. Um, it'd be online because we're still online, but to target different groups who are experiencing this more than others. And then I sat back and did some research to look at who's suffering the most from compassion fatigue. And it seems to be sort of a neck and neck experience, although there are a few who are worse. Um, so we're going to start with one of those groups at the office and then stretch it out for others. But this is a really big deal and it's been going on since last year. And uh, I know normally we just chat, but I don't have Deb to chat with. And if you're not going to chat up, I'm going to share some information with you so that we can talk about this really important topic that's been hitting so many groups and is really quite serious and that we can help with. We can actually deal with compassion fatigue and create some outlets and support systems so that it doesn't have to keep going, even in the midst of a pandemic that won't stop. And even when the pandemic stops, the outcome of it, because there have been so many changes to all of our lives. So let me just tell you what compassion fatigue is. Yeah, I actually prepped for this today. Aren't you impressed? Compassion fatigue is experiencing emotional, physical, and or spiritual distress when you're providing care to others, whether they're people or animals. Yeah, yeah. The vets, the veterinarians, the vet techs, all the people who deal with pets um, and big animals, they are capable and actually experiencing compassion fatigue. And when we are talking about distress, it's distress is a right here and now word. It's not a buildup over stuff. It is, it's almost like a punch in the gut and it's in response to a trauma or ongoing trauma. And you know who it happens to? Yeah. It happens to those who were taught to care for more for others than themselves your classic caregiver. That's who it happens to. I work in a caregiver support program um, that's being provided in a couple of states right now as their caregiver coach. I run a support group for people with dementia, families who are experiencing dementia. Those are the ultimate caregivers in terms of 
caring for those in their homes. When somebody is sick, somebody is chronically sick, somebody is um, experiencing disability or disability plus being sick or disability plus being sick, you're the caregiver for that person and you have small people. Yeah, double, double whammy, right? So it's really one of those things where it catches especially the folks who have always been the caregiver types in their families. Are you that person? I know I am. That's probably why I'm a social worker. It's what social workers do. And it's something we have to teach ourselves not to do. Not the caregiving part. We, we do want to care for others. That's why you get the social work degree. But we are not very good sometimes about taking care of ourselves so that we can be there for others. We're sometimes not very good about making sure that we've cleared our head at the end of the day so we have emotional space for those that we spend our evenings and weekends and time with because all the stuff that we've been doing all day, all the, all the stuff we've absorbed from other people goes with us. It's especially hard for therapists right now of all forms who are working from home, especially because we don't have that drive home time. And there's been some new research that actually shows that that drive home time, that's what gives us that space to empty our heads. The most of us need 30 minutes to the better part of an hour to really reset and become us again and have emotional space for our families. And sometimes it's hard for families to understand because we take care of other people all day long. But that also goes for caregivers who are in the home. That goes for nurses and doctors and med techs and pulse, uh, the oxygen folks, um, the OTs, the PTs, the folks who are doing the cleanup in our medical facilities who have to do twice as much now. And certainly they could leave that job and go find something that pays well, because I don't know about you, but here in Southern California, you can get paid $19 an hour to work in a burger joint and get full benefits, a higher on bonus and health insurance. So those folks could go someplace else. They stay there because they see the faces of their colleagues and they see the faces of the patients and they want to make it better. Those are the ones who were taught to take care of others more than themselves because of all the hours they're working. And then there are the folks who work on the EMS units and the fire departments and law enforcement and those in the death care community because they've had quite a run for the last coming up on two years. It's October. And as far as we know, our run with COVID really started in December, maybe, of 2019, not 2020. So those folks who have been absorbing all of the end of life and death parts, those folks have really been hit hard now for almost two solid years. And they've been dissed a lot because they've been told, especially in the death care groups, that you should be glad for this. You're making money. They're not glad for this. 
and they'd rather be able to be the people they're supposed to be with the people that the families they're taking care of. They are also those who are taught to care more for others than themselves. And these are the folks who need to be taking care of themselves more so they don't end up with the symptoms of compassion fatigue. Now, compassion fatigue does have some actual stages. And if you know Jill, you know I don't do stages with grief. Not ever. But this isn't so much grief. This is the grief of not being able to change the situation people are in. It is the grief of absorbing trauma. But this is what the stages are, as identified by a couple of studies. There's enthusiasm. I get to help. Right? How many people at the beginning of COVID went, me, I'm going to help. I want to volunteer. How many nurses jumped on the, I'm going to go off with the federal government or the state, and I'm going to go do the things? How many when vaccinations came out went, yeah, I'm all in. That's Deb. Don't tell her I said that. But it is because we've got people who jumped in and really were all in. And then it became, oh, my God, this is never going to stop. It's never going to stop. Stagnation. I'm just stuck here. I'm going to keep working all these hours in whatever it is, the hours in therapist land. It became, but they need us. I can find space for one more client each day. I can see instead of five or six or seven, I can see nine clients. It's okay. I can add Saturdays back. That's the temptation for therapists because they don't want to see people hurting without support. That, that's what we do. We support people. Same goes for all the groups. Everybody who's out there in this stuff, yeah, go, go, go. And then, oh, it's never going to stop. And then there's frustration. And the frustration comes from so many places. It comes from the folks who work in medical offices and veterinarians' offices who are experiencing much higher demand. And they just, their calendars can't go any bigger. They don't have more people. In fact, they've got fewer people because people get sick and they're out on medical leave, right? And then they're the people in the hospitals who are feeling like this should have stopped, but for whatever behavior in their particular region of the country or the world, right? Could we just all pull together? Because at the beginning, do you remember in March and April and May and June, even the future king and queen of the United Kingdom had their kids out, you know, pounding on the pots and pans and cheering for the folks at 7 p.m. at night. In New York City, there were the people leaning out. In Italy, I remember images of um, people who were, um, you know, playing music and police going out in the streets where nobody could be and entertaining communities, right? I've got some comments here. We got hello um, from Mark and Debbie. She's at the conference with activity directors. And she's got compassion fatigue folks there. 
and she's working on fringing and being present in gratitude, which is a great way to address this stuff. We had gratitude at the beginning. We had people being absolutely gracious and thankful. And here's your free coffee and teachers working from home. Come by. We've got presents for you. They didn't do much for social workers. Let me just put that out there or people in the death care community. Let's work on that. My own little thing. Okay. But we got to do better about taking care of ourselves. Right. And Deb says, you know, in that stagnation and frustration time, think about the drive home time being spiritual practice, listening to music or podcasts. So we went from that everybody, yay, us, go team, right, to stagnation, and this isn't going to end, to frustration. Would you please just get your shot? Come on now. Please put your mask on. Or to our elders, please just stay home. I know it's hard. Or our people with dementia living in care units, I know I can't come in and I know it's hard and I know you can't even remember that. I'm doing the very best I can to balance coming to visit you outside the window while I'm at home and trying to work from home, right? And for veterinarian offices, how many of you, how many of you, raise your hand, how many of you adopted a pet during COVID? Do you know that the number of pet households has more than doubled? since 2019 in the United States. And I'm relatively certain that's happened all over the world, right? And because of that, people who've never had to access veterinarian services and maybe feeling a little entitled, like, ooh, look at me, I rescued someone. They can't get into the veterinarian's office for three weeks. I have to tell you, we're related to our veterinarian's office. Our vet comes over in the summertime when it's not COVID and watches our dog swim in the pool with wonder. Steve just said he saved honor during COVID and she saved him, saved his life. We have all these people who've never had to deal with veterinarians and they're like, but I need to get in. Don't you understand me? And then there's those of us who've always gone there and said, I have to wait three weeks. Yeah, you got to wait. And I got to step back and say, you know what? You are really working long hours. And you are seeing some tough customers. And you've got pet parents who are upset they can't go in with their kids. Just like we're upset when we can't go into hospitals. My loved one who went to the hospital last night, the spouse had to drop off at the hospital doors and just sat in the parking lot which is what so many COVID families do. Although we're not dealing with COVID, fortunately, with this one, right? You just sit in the parking lot because I don't know what else to do. And I'm hoping that the people in there are not experiencing stagnation, frustration, or apathy. Because after the frustration, after the I can't take being yelled at one more time, I can't deal with how you're treating me. No matter how many ways my employer tries to shield me, I had to call my disability insurance carrier the other day and on their recording, I congratulate them for this Aflac well done. It says we're all working from home now. And because of that, the sounds of children and babies crying and pets barking and lawnmowers are part of the fabric of our lives and our background. And 
we're not going to offer excuses for it. We're going to say we're grateful for our team for still being there for you. And we're going to do the best we can. But you have to understand that's part of where we are now and where we're going to stay. How cool is that? That's going to take someone who's in the frustration level and send them right back to, oh my gosh, thank you. I can be great. I can be one with gratitude now. And that's going to cut down that frustration because I'm hearing a company telling me to have some gratitude that they've got someone that's going to get to the phone eventually. And they're sorry they can't answer it right away, but they really can't because they don't have anyone right now because people are out sick and they're trying to keep their people well. The saddest part of compassion fatigue is apathy which also goes to a sensation of being numb, um, a sensation of, I just don't care. And it's not that I don't care about what I do. It's, I just don't care, right? Give me my blanket for it. I'm gonna close the doors. I'm not even gonna take my oodle and I'm just gonna lay down and forget the world. But at work, I'm gonna be present, but I'm not gonna be present. Now I'm not describing me, um, because I work really hard at not reaching this level. And part of that's because I have the doodle bugs, right? Because how can you have compassion fatigue? Stand by. When you got Walter, right? This is Walter. I get him today. And Walter, he gets along with no eyes. And he's the cutest dude ever, although... When his siblings are around, he sometimes gets on the big giant bed we have in the center of the room. It's huge. It's round. It's like 16 times Walter. And he sits in the middle of it and he turns around like a gun in a turret and just growls. And he can't see who's there. So he just growls in general in case someone might be hearing him. So everyone knows that he's the badass Walter. Right, dude? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Walter, Steve, and Deb just said hi. So what else goes on when you get to apathy? I want you to hear the clear difference between burnout and compassion fatigue. These are the things that go on with both. This is both compassion fatigue and burnout. But burnout is when you are long-term burned out. That's emotional exhaustion a reduced sense of personal accomplishment or meaning in the work that you do, whether it's at home or at an office or in out at somewhere, whatever it is you do. Mental exhaustion, which means I can't pay attention. Being isolated, not interacting with others, both at work and at home. And feeling depersonalized, which means you've got some symptoms, but they don't really connect to what might be causing it and pure, utter physical exhaustion. Those are both compassion fatigue and burnout. Here's the difference. Compassion fatigue is rapid onset and burnout is over time. So burnout, you're just like surfing on and on and on and nothing's getting better. Compassion fatigue is you get battered by big waves, right? And if somebody gets in there, and helps you manage it early, you can come back from it pretty darn fast. And that's what I want you to be thinking about. 
These are the symptoms of compassion fatigue. It's a lot. I can barely see me. It affects all the dimensions of who you are, of the things that make you well. Your nervous system gets hyper aroused. That means you don't sleep well. And if you already didn't sleep well, which is anybody who's a caregiver, because you sleep with one ear open, anybody who's ever been a caregiver, because post-caregiver syndrome is a real thing. And I don't know if they actually, if anyone actually calls it that, but I do, and I'm going to make it a diagnosis someday. Because people who were former caregivers still live like they're caregivers. And they don't really sleep because that ear is listening for a fall, a phone call, a cry out, something. They just don't sleep, right? That makes emotional intensity go partly because you're just plain tired. And your cognitive ability decreases. That means you just aren't thinking clearly. In the eyes, scrambled up, not really making sense with what the ears are hearing, not making connection with what your mouth is saying. That's why I don't see clients after six o'clock at night because I just need to be on my game. And after 7 p.m., I'm off my game in terms of being able to pay enough attention to do really good clinical therapy work. It also impairs your behavior and your judgment because you just don't care. You are in that super fatigued, frustrated, I can't do this anymore state, which also isolates you and causes a big loss of morale. It has the potential to cause depression and PTSD. It does cause loss of self-worth and it makes it hard to modulate your moods to really keep you in a positive space or in a stable space, right? And it changes your worldview and your identity. I used to be this big caring person. I used to love taking care of pets. I loved being a nurse. I loved being a doctor. I worked on the med unit and adored it. I was a great funeral director. And many of those people have walked away because they just don't have it anymore. And that's compassion fatigue. And it hits them so hard and they weren't ready for it that they back away. It changes your sense of safety and trust, your sense of intimacy and control. And it really takes away your hope and your meaning. It's got existential stuff that goes on, right? Deb likes those definitions. And that's the stuff that we need to talk about and to think about when we are being our best selves, doing whatever that we do while we're still in this lovely pandemic of ours. Some areas opening up, some areas closing back down, some areas fighting about it. What I want us to think about is really taking stock of everything we have accomplished in whatever we you are. Are you the vet tech that I adore and has always met my critters with open arms and an open heart? Or the veterinarian who's cried with me when you've had to put one of our seniors to sleep? I want that person back. Or the nurse who instead of feeling like I'm just dragging myself in for one more day can say, you know what? I'm going to make a huge difference in someone's life today 
And I'm going to latch onto that and hold on to that. And that's going to bring me through and let my, my come, my me come back. I want me to be me again. Or are you that therapist who's jacked up your caseload far too high and needs to really start saying to clients, you know what? I'm going to need to do like every other week for a while with you. And I'll give you some skills to work with, but I need to bring my numbers down to take care of me so I can be a better me to take care of you and work with you. And I need to model self-care so that you can see what it means and you can do it for yourself too. It's kind of a gift. It doesn't seem like it. I'm doing that with some of my clients right now because I'm going to be going on a medical leave. So they are going to have to be either stretched out or to move to another therapist for a time. And many of them are saying, you know what? I've never seen you take this much time off before. I'm really glad. I'm going to miss you. I don't like you not being here, but I totally get it. So we're modeling for each other in essence. We're all learning together on this stuff. It's, can I be that funeral director who even though families are still in the worst place in their lives when they make that call and still struggling with finances to figure it out and still dealing with the conflict like my dear friend is right now, um, even though she's looking out over beautiful shores over some gorgeous water, She's struggling right now because of the conflict while memorializing her daddy. Can you see yourself back in the shoes of, I chose this career because it's where I make a difference in the world. And I'm going to leave someone with that final view and that final saying goodbye that they will never forget. And they're never going to forget it because of what I do. They won't remember me they'll remember the impact of this day because I gave it my all. Even if sometimes I didn't feel like I had my all, right? Are you the hmm, EMT who just doesn't want to work another OT shift? And you're going to because somebody else is sick and you're part of a team and you're grateful for being part of that team and you want to do your part. And so you say, you know what, instead of saying this sucks and I hate this, you can say, this is hard, but this is why I chose this, right? Are you the caregiver at home? Someone with dementia, someone with cancer, someone who's got Parkinson's, someone who's got any number of other issues. Are you that person? And you can say, you know what, this really is the hardest job in the world. And I really do think it is. And I've been there and done that. My daughter is primary for my mom right now. And it is hard. And Carrie, I'm grateful for you. It is hard. But it also means you get that time with that loved one that nobody else in the world gets. Even if you're sitting at the hospital for hours and hours and hours, you're getting that time with someone that you will never forget and you can have those conversations that perhaps you never thought you'd have time to have. And COVID has kind of helped with that because it's given us the ability, some of us to change our hours and what we do so we can make space for some extras. 
In some countries, they're actually experimenting with permanently changing scheduled hours because we've all learned it's better to take care of ourselves and we all get renewed by spending time with those we love and doing the things we love. Right? So what I want to leave all of us with, including me, because as a therapist and as a social worker, I am just as bad as the rest of you at sucking at taking care of myself. And I'm really working at it. And I'm grateful for the modeling that some do. I have a dear friend in Australia, Joe Muirhead, who um, survived breast cancer last year and is now turning that into a lesson for other people facing breast cancer in terms of taking care of yourself and recovering and finding health in life again and finding gratitude again in a series of videos. I couldn't be prouder of her or more grateful for her. And I can refer my clients and the people we see through the Pink Ribbon program here in Riverside who are dealing with breast cancer and needing extra support. There's lots of ways we can maintain who we are, come back from the fatigue, find space for ourselves, find some time to get some loving in and some caring in. And I'd say looking eyeball to eyeball with someone, but that doesn't work with Walter. Although he can glare at you when he's angry. If you say no to this guy, he will turn his head and go, but he doesn't have eyes. No fatigue there on that boy, right? From Deb, I wish people would just change one thing, anything, to increase their self-compassion. And I agree. Check with yourself. Do a full system check. Am I feeling tight in my head? Are my shoulders tight? Is my gut grumbling? Did I have breakfast? Right? Did I have lunch? Did I drink too much coffee? The answer to that is no. There's no such thing as too much coffee as long as you put enough hot milk in it. Right? Or whatever the rest of you put in. I'm all about the 1%. What can you do to take care of yourself while you're doing that check? You can do some um, progressive relaxation. You can tighten the muscles from your head, your face, your jaw, your shoulders, your hands, your arms, your tummy, your thighs, your legs, your feet, your toes. And you tighten them for a little bit and then you let them go and let them relax. It'll reconnect you to your body. It'll take that depersonalization away and it'll give you the ability to really reconnect and remember why you do the things that you do. If you're having other stuff go on, take a break. Unless you are bleeding out or someone else is, or they're on the freeway and you got to go rescue them. You can take five minutes and do some four square breathing. Breathe in for the count of four, hold for the count of four, and then let out for the count of four. It works. If you are feeling anxious, grab something hot, not too hot, don't burn yourself, and something cold, like a really cold water bottle with some ice. And your brain will have to work out what's going on 
and it'll slow everything down and give you a chance to catch up with yourself. And grab your oodle. Whether your oodle is, somebody had a, a meme up today, and they said, I can't have a pet. So meet my um, com emotional companion, goldfish. And you know what? It works because they can watch that goldfish. And goldfish are pretty social. They'll come around. And they've got a relationship eye to eye on the table while they work. And that goldfish then goes into the bedroom to go to bed at night. It's an emotional support goldfish. I love that. Whatever it is, bring in a fresh plant to lighten up the air in the space. Right? I'll put up a list of plants that are good for you to make your house healthier or your office healthier. Make the lights a little healthier. Wear your blue blockers if you're working online. Do the things to take your stress level down because stress is what leads to this. Right? Oh my gosh. Hotel Monaco in Chicago. They used to give you a pet goldfish for your stay. That's awesome. All right. I'm going to call it a day, folks. I do have Friday and I need some time. I need to go pick up Doug from my mom because he's staying there on Friday so he doesn't cough while we're online. And I'm going to give myself a break and heat up my coffee again and enjoy the beauty of just rained and the smell of the fresh earth. Take some time today and this weekend to connect with why you do what you do and what's really good about it. What are the gifts in it? Acknowledge the hard stuff. Do some journaling. That's where we put the hard stuff. And then next week, it'll be Deb and Jill again. And you know that's trouble. Go have a really great day and weekend. I'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.